we are continuing tonight our exploration of the different truths, cosmic laws, teachings, statements of wisdom and actions which are coming from the activity from the life of Jesus. And um, we have reached to a staple event to the most extreme type of event which Jesus did, except the fact that he himself was resurrected. But as you can see, I put it in a passive tense. I say Jesus was resurrected. I don't say Jesus resurrected himself, <clears throat> because as I have explained already on Sunday, and it's so appropriate to bring it up at this time of the year, Jesus did not exert a paranormal capacity to resurrect himself, but he just surrendered. He just let go. And so, but he did resurrect three or four people, as we are being told in the Gospels. And that's exactly where we had reached, we're in the middle of the seventh chapter, and we had this extreme episode, which is a staple, I'm saying it again and again. In the lives of Buddha, the prophet Muhammad, Moses, take any prophets from the old days or newer days, you don't find that kind of thing. You find stories about resurrection only in myths, in legends. But in real stories about a person who was born and lived and ate and, uh, you know, was a person, a physical person together with other people, you don't find that. Resurrection and the gift of life is something which is strictly divine and black magicians can kill, but they cannot give life. And thus, the gift of life itself is something which is strictly on the divine side, because the divine consciousness is the author of life. And uh, Jesus even manifests this. Not too often, not too much. Remember that there were stories in the earlier chapters where Jesus healed a leper or a blind man or something. And then he said, don't tell anybody. Go to the temple and say God has healed you. Like he even wants to hide his thing. In the moment when he has interfered with a Roman centurion and he said, this guy has as much faith as all the Jewish people that I met, you know, like... There are other people than the Jews that deserve my attention, and his message becomes universalized, expressed for the whole world. Then Jesus also is uh, increasing his audience. And that's why the end of this paragraph said very clearly that they were all filled with awe and praised God, which was the correct attitude, which means Jesus did it right. He didn't say, watch me, watch me, what I'm going to do right now. And people said, oh, Jesus, you are so great. People praised God, so he obviously did it like a consecration, 
like karma yoga in the right way so that in the people who watched this event there was created devotion, faith to God. And, that, and so people reacted in the correct way and people praised God and they said the great prophet has appeared among us. They said God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding con country or area. So this time Jesus has overdone it. He had a certain shyness. He heard a certain, like, you know, don't even mention that I healed your blindness. Go to the priests at the temple and say you washed in the spring and you prayed to God and God has healed you. Because it doesn't matter if I did it physically or God did it anyway with my presence or without my physical presence. But in this case with a dead boy, it's very difficult to put this into a box. And even Jesus knows that it would be like, you know, nobody has done this. Maybe there have been people who cured a leper. Or said, this has happened before. Minor miracles have happened now and then. But this one with a boy who was taken to the graveyard by his own mom, and then he brings him back, he touches the coffin, and the young boy wakes up and they give him food to eat. It's like, you know, this one is over the top. This is, that's why I say, it's a staple. It's a staple. In none of the major religions, you do not find it except under the form of myth and legend. But when it comes to physical people, to real citizens who walk the face of the earth and they were in a human body, no, because simply it did not happen. This shows that the grace, the mission, the degree of avatara that Jesus was, was unequaled. Again, people think that sometimes I'm militating for some Christian churches. I do not. I'm not a practicing Christian, and I do not militate for any of the organized churches that exist in this world. At the same time, of course, I have nothing against the fact that some of you might be great lovers of Jesus, and you feel like expressing your love of Jesus in an organized environment in one of the churches. But I am saying these things just as from the standpoint of yoga, because any tree shall be known by its fruits. Well, there is no tree which has fruits like those of Jesus. And of course, we are the subject of propaganda. We are the target of propaganda. And most of the modern people since the 1960s, they are taught to disparage, to despise, and to hate the church. The Christian church is starting in the Hollywood movies and everywhere seen as the root of all evil and of all perversity and of all uh, sorts of hypocrisy. And because of this, uh, for many people, they come with a prejudice, and it's a pity that precisely teachings like those of Jesus are also taken by people and mixed up with an institution, with the institution of different Christian denominations. And I myself have to say that there are so many Christian denominations, there are probably a few thousand Christian forms of Christianity, 
from Mormons to Catholics and from Coptic Egyptians to Jehovah's Witnesses. There are so many thousands of forms of Christianity. I have known prophets of some churches. I have personally known a woman to whom Jesus appeared during one of her fevers in a golden carriage like Cinderella's and told her that she should baptize people in his name. And she was baptizing people in her bathtub, in her apartment, in Bucharest, in the communist times. Like theoretically everybody can have a hallucination and start forming a Christian group around them. No, and I myself can see that many of these attempts of organizing some sort of Jesus groupies, most of them, 90-something percent of them, are absolutely grotesque. And many of them also in history, they have done bad things. So I'm not defending the Christian churches or institutions, but it's a very great pity that people cannot see it in a yogic way, and see the man and his message. See who this man really was. No, because people were defending themselves. The hip thing until the 1960s was that uh, the church has falsified all this, that it's all written by plagiarists and uh, falsifiers, you know. But then the scientists discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. They discovered in the 1970s the Nag Hammadi Library, which were Gnostic Christianity texts, not touched by the church, by any council or revisionism or anything. And they said pretty much 99% the same thing as the Gospels from the Bible do. So this argument that the church has faked it has fallen into the dust because it was just an attempt of the Christianity haters to put the church down by using all sorts of arguments. So now there are other arguments. As you well know, today when people want to put the Christian institutions down, they use other arguments. The priests are a bunch of uh, boy fuckers and uh, other and other uh, things are used as arguments. This one that the Gospels are falsified, uh, it's like, okay, it's uh, absurd scholarly to say that they are falsified because we know that they are not actually, because we have references, historical references, which show that they are not. So, Uh, There is a lot of hate against Jesus and against uh, his teaching. You know, Jesus is one of the most anti-demonic teachers, like he's in the face. He is like really going against the grain. And then, of course, his teachings are exactly that. They produce a lot of reactions and a lot of hate and a lot of, you know, um, opposition to them and people say yeah yeah believe some stuff from i don't know who you know but don't believe this shit from jesus this is too much it's like jesus is a concentrated medicine you know and if you go to that level then like oh my god you know it's like this is the worst that can happen because even in his activity the tree is known by the fruits Like, very few people have gone as far as Jesus, and actually almost pretty much nobody has gone to the length where he has gone. This is a staple thing which happened a few times. I had gurus in yoga who thought that uh, maybe one or two of these events with raising of the dead is like where Jesus 
took a personal initiative like he he said okay I did 99% of what God sent me to do and I added a cherry on top of the cake from me personally to kind of round it up you know it's it's okay to have your personal contribution like Ramakrishna started taking karma from other people God didn't tell him to do that that was his personal choice God did not ask Ramakrishna to die of a throat cancer. Ramakrishna died of a throat cancer because he overdid it. He overplayed his hand because he decided, he said, I did everything God sent me to do. And because I still have some prana and some energy in my body, I can push that envelope and do a little bit more. Like instead of 100%, I can fulfill my mission 110%. Some people are questioning if one or several of these resurrections are not the 110% of Jesus, like the place where Jesus goes over the top. Fact is that he does it with a naturalness which is uh, scary almost, but the effect of it is that people are flabbergasted. Like here, it's not like a leper or a blind that got healed uh, like this. And then people didn't say, well, well, when did this happen? What did happen? This one is really splashy. The thing which he did with a dead young man here, it's like, come on, either this is full-on hocus-pocus, or what the heck is it? You know, it's like, what is this? What's the meaning of this? And uh, we are witnessing an interesting phenomenon in, in the next paragraph, I'm in chapter 7, where I stopped last time, and uh, the, the timelines are modeled, like the four Gospels tell the story a bit chaotically, not totally chaotically, like don't they don't talk first about the crucifixion, and then about the rising of the dead body, like not that chaotic, but a little bit chaotic. So sometimes... Uh, It would be, and I'm sure some authors have tried this because Christianity had had so many exegetes and commentators, to make a sort of synchronology, like a sort of a timeline with each event and in which gospel it is described, and following it like day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year in Jesus' activity, to see which came before which, because the Gospel of Luke mentions some events but conveniently forgets or ignores some other events, and other Gospels do the other way around. And therefore, people will ask, how is this event compared to the death of John? Because John the Baptist was sent as a sort of warm-up. First of all, John the Baptist was from the family of Jesus. His uh, mother if I remember correctly, was cousin to the mother of Jesus. So John the Baptist was second degree cousin to Jesus. And his birth is a miraculous birth. Like Elizabeth, his mother, she got pregnant with John the Baptist when she was like 50 years old or something. And she didn't have any child before that. So everybody thought she was barren. Definitely when she was 50 or 48 or 52 or whatever, somewhere in that zone, everybody never thought that this woman will ever have a child, first child in her life. 
and she had the first child in her life, John the Baptist, who was born six months earlier than Jesus. In case you don't know, Jesus is allegedly a Capricorn, and John the Baptist is then celebrated in late June as a Cancer. He is a Cancerian. And John the Baptist is exactly like you have a Pink Floyd concert, and then you have a warm-up band before to warm up the crowd. So John the Baptist was the warm-up thing. He started his activity before Jesus. When Jesus came and he was 30, and he started acting, he did the 40-day fast, and then he went and took baptism from John, and all that, and he, John, said, you want to take baptism from me? I'm not even worthy to tie your shoelaces. You know, it's like, I should be baptized by you, because you are God, and I'm just a little jerk, you know? And Jesus said, no, no, let's play it right. Let's pretend I'm doing this, because things have to be done in a certain way. Outside people don't know yet what the name of the game is, so we are going to play the game in this way. I'm coming, taking baptism from you. I am then preaching my message and so on. So, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus by maternal line. And John the Baptist was born just six months earlier. They were born in the same year, one of them in June. The other one was born because when Virgin Mary was pregnant, she was afraid because this was way too bizarre. Uh, it's a telephone which I took for somebody and uh, if you want find it and switch it off. Not done, so just switch it off, find the sound, give it to Piago or to somebody to find the sound and switch it off. So, back to our story. Uh, when Virgin Mary was pregnant, as you know, she was pregnant in a bizarre way, which was interpretable. There are many Jewish authors who still say that Virgin Mary was a whore, and Adolf Hitler's people, the SS, they said that she had sex with a German soldier who worked in the Roman army. That's why Jesus was chestnut-haired and had blue eyes, because he had DNA from... Uh, the Germanic tribes, so that the real father of Jesus was some German soldier, and that Mary was a whore, you know, and that she kind of fucked out of marriage, and then Joseph said, okay, you know, and then they pretended it was immaculate conception. That That's our people who don't have the power to believe. Like, what's empowering you more? That Jesus was God and came to earth in a Jewish woman by immaculate conception, because this exists in nature. There are, for example, animals in which there happens partogenesis, which means if there is a group of 100 female animals lost on an island, where will they get sperm to procreate? And then something happens in the collective mind of the animals, and one of them gets pregnant, and there will be a male offspring, so that the species can be continued. It's like the morphogenetic field. It's like the field of the race creates a little miracle, so that, okay, forget about the gender, you don't have a male, and still pregnancy can happen without a male. 
That's not natural, but it happens if you push the envelope. There are other and other experiments which show, for example, there are there were genetical studies and uh, fertility studies which show that in some animals, in some females, if you pricked the egg, the ovum, the egg of the woman, the egg cell, if you pricked it with a microscopic needle, the egg thought it was a sperm cell because the sperm acts like a stabbing. It's like a violent thing. It's the male thing. It's a sharp point, like in magic, where they use swords and daggers for drawing pentacles in the air. It's a sharp metallic thing. And that's the yang energy. It's the male energy. And if you take an egg and prick it with a needle, sometimes it happens that it thinks it has been fertilized by a sperm cell and it starts dividing and it becomes a being. No? So the sperm doesn't even need to be there physically. You just need the lightning, the sharp thing of the sperm, even if it's manifested energetically. So probably this is how the egg of Mary was fertilized by the Holy Spirit, by a sort of a prana lightning. And then she got pregnant. Her egg was tricked. So it happens in nature. There are other forms. I, I could speak one hour about biological experiments which show that it happens in nature. And actually, there's the, it's not the only way to get fertility is with the sperm cell and the egg. No? So what is more empowering? For me to believe that Jesus was from God being coming down like a lightning and visiting the earth and you know all that? Or that uh, he was the cousin of John and his mom fucked a German soldier and uh, then uh, he was a sort of a half schizophrenic carpenter from Nazareth, you know? Because some Protestant Christian churches, they push the personality of Jesus into some ridiculousness. No? Again, I remember first time when I saw Jesus Christ Superstar. It's a schizophrenic looking hippie who cries, oh yeah, God, it's a rock and roll, this harmonious thing. It's like if that would be Jesus, you'd spit on him. No, it's completely not according to the dignity of Jesus. The people who created such movies, they have absolutely no feeling of sacredness. They, they create a Jesus which is not sacred. But somebody who raises the dead is a person who is sacred, you know. It's like it's a person who walks and breathes that. So, uh, John was a special man. He came with a special purpose and he was lucid. They asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm not the Messiah. He said, I'm the one who comes before to announce you that probably the Messiah will come in my lifetime. Until he saw Jesus, he didn't know. And even when he saw Jesus, try to realize, he was a human being, a very spiritual human being. And then somebody comes and says, you know, uh, this could be the Messiah, the Savior, God on earth or something. Does he have the right to have doubts to say, really? My cousin, my young cousin is... The Messiah? Like, it's somebody from his family. No, and he says, is this right? Most of you imagine that when you have high spiritual states of consciousness, there is a sort of a clarity and determination 
like God gives you a fax every morning and he says facts of the day briefing for the 24th of April today or 25th whatever is today you know like the, it's not you are living in an illusion even when you are enlightened you still have choices you know like Shambhala is looking down at you and is laughing at you and trying to see let's see what he does next you know there is no agenda put there clearly like you have to move three steps to the right then walk two kilometers forward then you have to rise a dead person from the grave then you take lunch then you do this then it's not like this you are not a robot and you have choices your mind always says should i go there or not should i do that or not there is not angel who comes and pushes you and says go 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 come on don't be stupid you know it's like it's not like that so of course john the baptist suddenly he sees his own second degree cousin coming and uh, you know he probably sees some energy phenomena or he has some clairvoyant opening up when he gives him the baptist and then he says wow wow you know it's like what's happening here my own second degree cousin who apparently was born in some real funny way some people say his mom was a whore you know like there is some really mysterious about his birth and now he came to and i uh, of course he had doubts like to get it in your mind that this guy is a mess and he was not walking with him he was not living with he didn't see all these things he just hear some echoes and then john the baptist he is very tough like he had done a lot of tapas he lived in the desert and his diet was a diet of grasshoppers grasshoppers i would be so hesitant to become the second john the baptist you know it's like grasshoppers is a bit more than my dietary preferences are going you know like it, it would be horrible if i would be asked by god to go and eat grasshoppers i'd probably do it but uh, I can't say right now. Uh, maybe they taste deliciously actually. I don't know, but by, by what I know right now, I'll definitely have solid reservation to go to that. Grasshopper. Okay, honey is okay. But grasshoppers is a bit over my red line, you know. So he was living in the jungle like a wild man in the desert. There was no jungle in Palestine. He was living out in the desert. He was eating grasshoppers and honey. He was super ascetic. He was one of these half naked mad prophets living there and he was telling to people all the time make way make the ways of God straight the messiah is coming all these modern priests now they are liars and hypocrites and you live according to their advice and therefore you become liars and hypocrites because you take advice from such false people and all your society is a shame and a nonsense and this and that and he was like really fiery and pissing off everybody and the priests felt insulted and the kings felt insulted and not long from this moment he will actually be assassinated by the local king there were two provinces and one of the kings hated him so much because he was telling him that he killed his own brother and he took his wife to fuck her and he shouldn't do this you know so he was going straight like the kings were horrible egoistic manipuristic people breaking all the rules and you know break doing all sorts of shit and john the baptist was the perfection is the prophet the guy who was going and saying you can't do that you are a hypocrite you should be 
you should abdicate immediately, you should not do this, you should not, you are not worthy to be the king of the people of Israel, and all that stuff. So John the Baptist is a very special fiery man, he's a firebrand prophet with a very high level of tapasia, and uh, of course he's uh, the warm-up for Jesus. So if John the Baptist has ego, which every human being has, and John the Baptist says, I have baptized 30,000 people and so many have changed their life and I have lived in the desert since I was 16 years old and I have eaten grasshoppers and now I hear some weird things about this Jesus who doesn't wash his hands or whatever rules he's breaking. And yes, some people say that he is really big and I remember I baptized him two years ago and there was some real, even me, I had some woe, you know. So there is something with this dude. But, you know, he's becoming more famous than me. And I hear he's raised some dead people or something. He could have some ego. He could have told him, cousin, not so fast. Not so far. You know, it's like, I am the alpha dog here. And you can be number two. But he's not. He's humble. He can see. He has, he sees the proportion. And he has some doubts. Like any human can have. And he's trying to resolve those doubts. He's asking and saying. What's happening here? What is this? Remember he's a very powerful person. And he eventually realizes things. I anticipate. He realizes things so acutely that he realizes there cannot be two of us in Israel at the same time. I and God. I cannot do competition to God. You know? And people will say, no, I prefer to go to John. John is more kind. Jesus is a bit crazy and he asks too much from people and so on. No, he cannot. And he realizes, I did my warming up of the crowd. I prepared the stage. Now it's time for me to disappear. And to disappear means to disappear. Like to disappear physically, you know, because simply there is no room for both in terms of popularity. There cannot be two kings. There cannot be, you know, people are, people don't understand these things and they will make wrong choices all the time. So he even says, I don't know if in this paragraph or where, he says the famous sentence. He says, now... I have to decrease while he is increasing. Like the moon. Decreasing of the moon and one is increasing like the increasing moon. You know? It's like he has to increase while I have to decrease down to zero. Like to disappear. I have to make place on the stage for the new star. Believe me, as a spiritual teacher, especially one with the Manipura of John the Baptist, who lived on grasshoppers for 10 years in the desert, takes a lot of humbleness, takes a lot of clearness to just stand back and realize what is happening. And that's why John the Baptist has a special role and his test, like everybody was tested. Will you follow Jesus or will you not follow Jesus? And different people had different reasons to do it or not to do it. To love Jesus or to hate him. And they were divided in the flock of Jesus and those who were against. 
And Jesus said it. If you are not with me, you are against me. It's as simple as that. You know, it's like the roof of a house. Nobody stands in the middle. You fall on the left slope or on the right slope. There is no midpoint there. And everybody was tested. When Jesus came, everybody was tested. And John the Baptist imagined that he was a human being. He was tested at a very high level. His test was not, do you believe in God, John? That was kindergarten for John. That, that test he had passed long time ago. But now he was tested in his attitude with Jesus. To be just brought there to warm up the stage and then take three steps back and disappear to make place to Jesus who is just a hippie, who is your second cousin and younger than you. You know, the older brother was always having more so. Jesus was his, uh, whatever the Japanese call it, the senpai, apple pie, whatever they call it, you know, the, the little one, you know, and you are the protector, you are the boss, you know, because you are the older relative. You know? It must have taken a lot from John. For this reason, Christian mystics uh, claim that Jesus, and therefore God, has rewarded John the Baptist specially after the whole caboodle was finished, after Jesus' crucifixion and all that. There were two people who had a very special reward test. One of them was Virgin Mary on the female side who was tested in incomprehensible ways and she did her part and the other one was John the Baptist who is the archetype of the masculinity John the Baptist is the archetypal man and Virgin Mary is the archetypal female no female archetype and John the Baptist is like the most important person in the whole Christian pyramid of course this below Jesus but Jesus is not a person. Jesus is a person in the meaning that he is a divine person, but he is not one of the citizens of the earth. Only by as an honorary citizen, a citizen of honor, because he visited planet earth, but he doesn't belong here only. While John the Baptist, Virgin Mary, they are human souls, and they got exalted specially because of this very near position to Jesus, and to the top of the pyramid. And uh, John the Baptist acted very elegantly. He acted, I could almost say, in a spiritual, gentlemanly way. He was a gentleman to Jesus, and he knew the exact measure of things. He had his doubts, he tried to resolve them, and he behaved admirably. Also, to put the cherry on top of the cake, either in this paragraph or another, I don't know because I didn't read in advance, <clears throat> John the Baptist is a martyr, the local king, taking uh, advantage of this karma, of the fact that God wanted John the Baptist out of the picture because he was taking too much stage light from Jesus, so the king was given the power to eliminate physically John the Baptist. For example, when Jesus was brought in front of the Roman procurator, the Roman procurator said, you are just giving me the finger, don't you know that I am the man who can crucify you and your life depends on me? 
And Jesus tells him clearly, normally you would have no power over me. I could play with you and with the Roman Empire on my little finger. But because I have this mission to be crucified, you have been given a fake power over me temporarily so that you can assassinate me and the game should go like this. So he says, you would have no power over me if it wouldn't have been given to you by God. Like God himself allows this anomaly that I, Jesus, who can rise the dead and walk on water, am at the mercy of a stupid manipuristic asshole like you. Now, normally, I would just click my fingers and you would lie like a puppy on your back and do like this, you know. Like there is nothing you can do to me or your people. But because you know, the same with John. John was who he was. But God gave power to Herod or whoever was the king and the king assassinated him. They wouldn't have had power over John. But it is the game of history. It's part of the big tragedy and the big drama that happened with Jesus. And John elegantly surrendered to it. He accepted his role even in this bitter part. At least John was not asked by God to die in a terrifying way. We can say that any death is terrifying, <coughs> but John was not put on a cross. He was not beaten, mocked, tortured, and assassinated in a slow, painful way. John was just decapitated. So he was put in prison, and after 10 days or whatever, they cut off his head which is uh, a relatively painless way to go. Now, if there is the fear of death, I would never minimize that horrible thing. And then he went. Funnily enough, John, the apostle of Christ, that's another John, John who was the disciple of Jesus, one of the 12 apostles, where he wrote the predictions for the end of the cosmic cycle, the famous book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. And in the book of the Apocalypse, he claims that John and Elijah will come again and they will be assassinated once more before the second coming of Christ. So he says there will be two and the explanation is given in such a way that you can see that one of them is John and they will warm up the stage once more and they will be assassinated and this time Jesus will not come to play games but those two will be raised by God after three days. So, John the Apostle says there will be one more miracle of divine resurrection in the very last days, just before the Jesus coming. There will be two people preaching for Jesus. One of them will be John himself, and the other one, another prophet from the old days. And these people will talk so much nasty. I don't know, maybe they will speak against homosexuality or something, you know. You would expect a guy like John to be politically incorrect or something. And I was like, okay, maybe it's okay. You know, maybe God has reconciled himself with Sodom and Gomorrah. And maybe they will speak about the banking system. They will say the banks are Satan. No, stop putting your money in the banks. Stop borrowing money from the banks. Burn the banks. A little bit like the people from Iceland did. When in 2008, when this shit was coming, they tried to fuck Iceland as well. And the people of Iceland went out on the street with pots and spoons. And they just beat pots and spoons in front of the parliament until the parliament resigned. 
And then they said, but what do we do? Our bank has to give uh, money to Wells Fargo in the United States. And the Icelander said, fuck Wells Fargo. They will not see one penny from us. Iceland is not going to pay one penny because the banks did some shitty thing between each other. It's not my fault. It's not the fault of my cousin. It's not the fault of my wife. So all you guys with the banks, you can just hang yourselves right now because you will not see one penny from the population of Iceland. It's the only country which did that and you don't hear about it because the banks are afraid that everybody will learn the lesson and will do the same thing. See, the Icelanders are more pure in their mind. There is something pure there. We saw recently the documentary with the invisible world and their beliefs and so on. There's more Ajna Chakra because they are placed so much north in Scandinavia. They preserve the original Scandinavian languages and so on. Even Bobby Fischer, when he turned against the world, he went and lived the final years of his life in Iceland while he was condemned to prison in the United States and Iceland didn't sell him to the United States. They said, fuck off, you know, you imperialistic pigs. No, we in Iceland, we are our own people and we do our own thing. No, I have a great sympathy for Icelanders for this kind of... So maybe, no, maybe some of you feels irritated if I talk about sexual things. Forget the sexual things, you know. It doesn't matter what you believe and what I believe and we'll see when Jesus will come back you will see what God believes and then you will have a surprise or not. But let's say John is coming back and saying all the banking system of the world is just 300 assholes who have ransacked the world and they should all know. They will assassinate him. If somebody does that, they will assassinate him. And so John the Apostle says it will happen again. And when it happens, then it's days until Jesus is coming, you know. This Jesus will come back and there will be some warming up of the stage again by somebody who will be again killed. That's what happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist warmed up the stage and then he had to go. And because he did it in a totally spiritual way, his karma yoga was perfect. Like he really did it well. He has been exalted at least in the Christian mysticism, to the position of being the archetypal man, as Virgin Mary is the archetypal woman. These are the heroes of it. And that's why in Christianity, they say that before Jesus is Mary with John. And then the next level is the 12 apostles. And then the next level is the 100,000 Christian saints, men and women, angels and other things. For example, there is a story of a death of an elder in Sinai, in the Paterikon, and when he dies, he starts rising, and the people were gathered, the brothers from the monastery were around him, so he was dying in front of 20 people or something, and then they pray, he's praying, I don't know if he was lying down, sitting, I, the detail is not given, and probably lying down Christian way, not uh, sitting in the lotus pose, the Tibetan way. And then he says, I can see the heavens are open and the angels are going up and down and so on. And everybody is like, you know, this guy is dying and he starts having visions. He sees the heavens, he already it opens for him. And they were inspired by it, like they want to see how a spiritual man dies, so that they see what, 
No? And then he says, I can see the saints and I can see the angels and everybody is like, oh my God, like we don't see them. But this guy says they are around here. So it's like, okay, you know, like we know and we are in the presence. And then he says, now the apostles have come. You know, like there is a band of saints, 12 in number, the apostles. And like this is the next level. And then just before he dies, he says, now the mother of God, the virgin, and John, John the Baptist, they are here, which means like now you've gone really close. No, it's like it's the next, it's higher even than the apostles. And by the time he was saying this, the people, they, the people who wrote about his death, they said there was so much light in the hut, like his face and body was shining light, that everybody was afraid, you know, they didn't know what to believe. And then he says, the last words which he says, he says, now the Lord has come. Jesus himself. And then they said there was like a lightning in the hut. It was like a flash. They didn't have photographic flashes in that light. They would be compared with it. No, they said there was like a lightning. And then he was gone. Like he died in light. In a light which other people could see it physically. And this was the order, you know, the saints, the apostles, Virgin Mary and John the Baptist. And then there is only one place to go. That's Jesus himself, that's God himself. So I, I told you all these things because the next paragraph uh, says, while Jesus was doing all these things and he did keep this amazing sermon on the mound and all that, of course, uh, Israel was and is a very small country. And it was impossible for John the Baptist, who was just 30 kilometers away, not to have some people migrating from one place to another and hear about what was happening. So somebody just 40 kilometers away raised a dead man in front of a whole funeral procession. Of course, people would run to John and tell him. So John was still in his role. John's disciple told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Like you see, uh, Jesus is being asked specifically, like John doesn't want to go by his imagination. John has seen, has heard, he has reasons to, maybe he has reasons to doubt as well. He doesn't know what to believe 100%. So one of the things which he has to do, he tells to Jesus, look in my eyes. Of course, Jesus is not physically present there, but metaphorically speaking. Look into my eyes and tell me who you are. Tell me if you are the one. Because he knows that at the level of Jesus and when a man does things like this, Somebody will not lie. It's almost impossible to imagine a lie in the life of Rumi or Ramakrishna or Milarepa or no. From that level of consciousness, there is absolutely no reason or incentive or resonance to lie because you are attuned to the universal truth. And therefore, he knows. I will, I will simply ask, Ramakrishna, when he died, he pointed at his body 
and he said, in this body, Rama and Krishna are united beyond any duality, and I'm not speaking that in the Vedantic meaning, because in the Vedantic meaning, you are that, I am that, we are all that, Krishna is that, Rama is that, and therefore I am Rama and I am Krishna, and I can say I have Rama and Krishna in me. But Ramakrishna said, in this body, Rama and Krishna are united beyond any duality, and I'm not saying that in the Vedantic meaning, which means I'm saying it in the actual meaning. So Ramakrishna, on his deathbed, he said, I am Rama and I am Krishna, which would make him the ninth avatara of Vishnu. Because, because the eighth avatar of Vishnu was Krishna. And then if Ramakrishna says, I am Rama and Krishna in actual fact, not in some philosophical understanding, then, you know, so when you hear this from the mouth of Ramakrishna on his own deathbed, you cannot say, come on, the man was delirious or something. It's very difficult to ascribe that. So John knows, you know, like at this level, you have to go straight forward. You know, it's like, he tells to Jesus, you know, are you the one like this is getting, you know, I baptized people and it's a, it's a comedy. I believe in it, but I'm just immersing people into water and I haven't seen anybody raising from the dead or something. But I hear about you, cousin, <laughs> that you are way over the top, you know, so it's like, are you, as I felt maybe intuitively, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the man came to Jesus, those two men became apostles of Jesus by permission of John. Jesus didn't steal the disciples from John. He, John sent them and he said, now I'm going down, you have to follow this guy. Those two were actually the first apostles of Jesus. They are called Andrew and Philip. Andrew was number one and Philip was number two. So uh, they are well known because they were ex-disciples of John. When the men, Andrew and Philip, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? They did it exactly in the same word. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Like, okay, when you raise the dead man, then uh, healing a few blind and a few paralytics and a few lepers is like small change compared to what had happened before. Like, that was all. So Jesus was now in a, on a rampage. He was like, people knew he can do things like this, or that he can pray to God for things like this, and he was overwhelmed. This is one of the only beautiful scenes which I liked in one of the versions of Jesus Christ Superstar. There are two scenes in that movie which you compensate for the lack of sacredness of that movie, that you just have some Svadhisthanistic, manipuristic, disharmonious rock stars who are singing with an ugly tone of voice, all sorts of things alleged by Jesus. No, but there are two scenes in which the director did something beautiful. One of them is a song where Jesus is overwhelmed by paralyzed people, lepers. Like, people, they understand, okay, what shall we do with Jesus? Oh, he is the village healer. 
Now, bring him everybody who is sick because he can fix everybody. He's like a mechanic that has a big garage and everybody brings their motorbike to fix their motorbike with Jesus. And the scene is made amazingly because Jesus is alone in the middle of a crowd and there are like 20,000 handicapped people swarming and like swallowing him and saying, me, me, me too, and so on. And Jesus is like with this bad rock and roll music which is in it, he says, I'm just only one, even if I heal one per second, and I, it will take me years and years to heal all of you. It's like, you know, how can just one person deal with all this misery of the world, you know? And it's true, of course. Oh, like, so uh, that's a beautiful one because it shows exactly this drama, you know, that people think, oh, Jesus... Uh, Bring grandma, she's in a wheelchair, let's make her walk again. You know, it's like, okay, is this the meaning of Jesus? That's why Jesus came to earth, to fix your grandma, who will anyhow die in five years, you know? Like, it's like, it's, it's circus. It's a cheap circus, this healing thing, for most people. So, anyway, Jesus did and gave sight even to many who are blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. This paragraph, the second half, when he says what you have seen and heard, and then he quotes, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. This is from an older prophet. It's a prophecy made by, if I remember correctly, Isaiah, or if I'm not right, please correct me, do your own research and see. He simply quotes, and he simply says, go to John and tell me, tell him. It's exactly according to the words of Isaiah, who predicted the coming of the Messiah. Like, uh, what more demonstration do you want, you know? He says, look what's happening here. As Isaiah said it. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Amazing. Now he says like, I am according to the prophets, what will you say to that? And then he says an amazing thing. He said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Try to take it deep. Blessed is the man or the woman who does not fall away, fall from the faith, fall from the right path on account of me. Like Jesus knows, he says, on account of me, because of me, many people will fall away. Because I'm giving them this 50-50 test. Are you with me or you are against me? It's as simple as that. So what will you do? What will you do? No? So he said, because of me, some people will go to hell. Because they will have a choice and they will fail their test. That happens with many others. People failed because of Ramakrishna, Milarepa, Rumi, the Prophet Muhammad, you name it. Every time when there was a spiritual personality, and especially one of the big ones, especially one of the radical ones, many people fell away. 
They said, no, I can't. I know it's too much. See you in 10,000 years. See you again when you will have the next spiritual chance in many, 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 many years from now. That's the deal. That's why we can't stop it, you know. People say, why don't you stop what happened in Agama? I didn't start it. I didn't cause it. If it were according to me, I would say everybody, you know. But Shiva is dancing. Shiva has a different opinion. He's just stomping his feet and shakes the tree. Like, what can I do? No. I can say, blessed is the man who doesn't fall because of Shiva's dance. Blessed is the man or the woman who doesn't fall off the tree when Shiva is stomping his feet and shaking the ground. Because that's what's happening. So, um, here, you see, Jesus doesn't tell him, yes, I am the one. He doesn't like that. Because it doesn't come well from the mouth of Jesus. Because then you say, well, Jesus can say it because he is God. But if any other normal person would have said such a thing, they would have been a megalomanic liar, a totally exaggerated person who says this. So Jesus often avoids to say, the Jewish priest, the high priest, in the end when he is judged, he says, in the name of the Most High, I am asking you now in front of this gathering, are you the Son of God? Then there is no more joke. Like when he asks him in the name of God and all that, then there is no more place to make jokes, to twist it, to give evasive answer to, then Jesus said, here yeah, I am. Brief, short, not exaggerating, not telling too many things. But with the disciples of John, who will become his own disciples, Andrew and Philip, Jesus says, don't you see what's happening? Like, how much thick your head is that look what's happening. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, like in Isaiah. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Like to the masses, you know, this is not an elite thing. I'm talking to all the nation, to everybody. It's true, he did not convince all the nation. Pontius Pilate was a smart devil. And when he came to it, he wanted, but he didn't want to do it. So he was split, should I crucify this, this hippie or not? And then he said, what? let the people in the market choose. And he said, we have two people, Barabbas and Jesus. And I can set one of them free, you tell me whom I set free. You'd expect that 90% of the crowd would say, Jesus, 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 this guy raised the dead. You know, Jesus, Jesus, it's obvious. Barabbas is just a hooligan and a murderer. No, people said fucking Barabbas. So more than 50% in that, of the people in that market shouted Barabbas, not Jesus. So maybe you say, maybe, you know, Pontius Pilate was a tricky manipuristic procurator. He heard what he wanted to hear. But it's obvious that it was not 10% of the people screaming Barabbas and 90% screaming Jesus. Because then he would have had no choice. It's obvious that it was at least around 50-50 or maybe more than 50 in favor of Barabbas. And then G. Pontius Pilate did the famous gesture. He washed his hands. 
He said, I wash my hands of this shit. It's not my decision. You have asked me to crucify Jesus. I gave you the final choice. I wash my hands, you know. This is not my fault. May your desire be fulfilled. I'm going to crucify Jesus and to release Barabbas. So, the blind were healed, the lepers were cured, and more than 50% said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. That's how much the masses understand from Jesus. And Jesus was a violent prophet. You know, he raised the dead. He walked on water. He healed blind and lepers and so on, you know. What do people need to see the truth? What? A baseball bat, you know. He should have beaten them with a baseball bat over their heads. Now, how do you put some light in the heads of the people? If raising the dead doesn't do the job. That's the tragedy of spirituality in Kali Yuga. In Kali Yuga, spirituality is very persecuted and very low. And uh, there is very little chance to convince people of spirituality. 2,000 years ago, when Kali Yuga was not as deep as it is today, Jesus raised dead and healed blind people. And then 51% of the market said, I crucify him, fuck him, give us Barabbas. So it's, that's where it goes, and Jesus knows. But Jesus says this, Blessed is the man who does not fall on account of me. He knows that his task is terrible. There are many people who would practice more humbleness, because they don't have the mission of Jesus, and they don't have the stature of Jesus. For example, uh the fathers of the desert. The fathers of the desert, they practiced extreme humbleness. These are Christian mystics from centuries 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, around Middle East, around Egypt, Sinai, and Palestine, Jordan, that area. And uh, people were contradicting them sometimes, you know, because their faith was extreme. They were people who were doing a lot of austerity, like you could not, uh, let me take one of the fathers of the desert, Athanasius was the first one, Athanasius the Great. You cannot take Athanasius and play stupid games with Athanasius. Athanasius is a fanatic. And others like him, John Cassian. John Cassian and others. Again, I can give you three, four names of proeminent saints among the fathers of the and Probably there are a hundred of them that we don't even know their names. So these people were like, I have to take care of my soul. I have to save my soul. I worship Jesus. I'm full of sins. I'm impure. I am lucky that Jesus gave me the willpower and the clarity. So I go in a cave and pray. And then there comes somebody who contradicts me. Somebody who comes from another Christian sect. Somebody who is a freshly created Muslim or something. And they say, you know, Kasian. Uh, Jesus is not as divine as you think. He did not even resurrect. He was just in a coma. They fixed him and they sent him to Srinagar where he lived and had two children later in time. No? What would Kasian say? He would not go like Jesus. Kasian and all the fathers of the desert, they said, they usually, they were taught, do not argue with people. 
because it gets more and more heated and then eventually you'll start shouting at each other and you still start saying you are stupid no you are stupid blah, 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 blah. and it can get even to violence so the way to cut the argumentation is these people said you know Jesus is like this and like, I have a secret book which says that he said this and so on and which would be outrageous and like I know that he was fucking with Mary Magdalene and they had children and and Cassian would say brother you know what you are speaking about no? like you seem to be very convinced you are telling it me with great conviction I'm sorry to tell you that I will not follow your belief like I have my own belief about this but I don't want to quarrel with you so I'm simply telling you you know we probably you know something which I don't know you have it on a good authority and I'm not going to argue with it, but I'm not convinced. And therefore, if you are right, when I die, you will be waiting for me in paradise. Or after I die, you will come to paradise and you will say, See, Cassian, you are stupid. You didn't believe me what I told you. I was right. Like, you know what you are talking about. But there will be no discussion about it. Like, we don't argue. You know what you're... Jesus is not the kind who says, you know what you're talking about. Because Jesus is not Cassian. Jesus is sent by God to shake the world. And he comes suddenly in a mixed society, which is confused. And he said, now I have come. And it's time for you to make choices. And who is not with me is against me. You are on this slope or on this slope. Choose. <laughs> so Jesus knows that, you know, John Cassian, he didn't split people. He didn't say, if you are not with me, you are against Jesus and God. Maybe there is another truth which I don't know about. Maybe the prophet Muhammad is also true in another way, which we are not allowed to go to and investigate because we keep within the borderlines of our religion. Many things are possible. But you know what you are speaking about. Like, you seem to be convinced. And that will shake you because you will say, no, actually, I don't know what I'm saying. Ah, then we can talk. Because it means you are not convinced and you are just talking nonsense. But if the person is really fanatical, then he goes and says, you know what you are talking about, brother or sister. You know what you are talking about. And it's like, you know, there will be no argument. Jesus is definitely not like this. And that's why he says the big word, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So what happens to the people who fall away? It's exactly like people who don't graduate an exam. What happens when you don't graduate an exam? You are being the chance of taking it again in six months or in one year. Six months for God means approximately 26,000 years. Like, when the next Kali Yuga is coming, we hope you will be more right, and when you will meet with Krishna or with Jesus or something, you will make the right choice. Until then, you have dumped the exam, you have botched it, and you go wherever you go. It doesn't mean necessarily you've done something wrong and you go to hell. But there is a hell in knowing that you are close to Jesus 
and you miss that train. There is a hell in it. No? So it's not a hell for murderers. It's not a hell for concentration camp torsionists. But there is a hell for losing a huge opportunity. Think, there have been people who physically lived with Jesus. They could shake his hand. They could touch him. Why did they fall away? That's how the divine thing is, because it's a matter of evolution. Among the people who were in Israel in those days, some of them were very unevolved spirits. Very primitive, very young spirits. They could not. Jesus was too much of a mouthful for them. They could not. And then automatically these were the 50% of the people who said, no, we like Barabbas, because Barabbas is a patriot. Barabbas is fighting against... Barabbas had killed a Roman soldier. So this is a Jewish patriot. We like patriots who fight against oppression. Like I can understand Manipura. Hooligans like me who will fight against the Romans. But Jesus coming and saying forgive your enemies and it's like... Uh, that's too much. I prefer Barabbas. My, my favorite is Barabbas. What's this? This is a spirit which is inferior. A spirit which is not very evolved. He is in a human body, but he is not very evolved. So, it's logical, it's normal. It's not that Jesus invented something new. It's normal that when you have a mixed society with evolved souls and less evolved souls, some of them will not pass the test. That apparently is the will of God. Like God wants trials from time to time. God wants tests from time to time. That's why I'm telling you, comparing it at a much, much smaller scale to what's happening here, that the same tests are functioning and I cannot stop it. There is no way. You know, different people are trying all sorts of diplomatic ways of saying maybe we can talk to those people and I'm laughing always and I'm saying... They will probably not come back, but I admire your enthusiasm. Try. Try. Just so that you can get convinced and say, I tried my best and it still didn't work. And therefore, I realized that it must be something which is of a higher order. After John's messengers left, so they returned to give him the answer, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John because people knew that John was talking to this guy through messengers and now Israel had two big characters which were like 50 kilometers maximum from each other. No? And it's like, what about John? Jesus, Jesus, what about John? Not to mention that maybe some people knew that they were even related from the same family and some, you know, like there was something there. And then Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he said, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Like John was living in the desert. And even when he was doing baptism, he was coming for a few days, baptizing. Then he was running in the desert to charge his batteries, to pray some more. Because everybody who interacts with large groups of people especially even spiritual people, they get uh, polluted. 
don't think that saints don't get polluted. They do get polluted by the people who are around them. Not 200% or something, but there is a pollution, depending on how much they interact with those people. That's what the gurus do, and that's what... So he said, what did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? No, like John is having his own tests. He's swayed by the wind. No, and John is a human being who is strong, practicing his faith, telling the truth of God. And at the same time, he's a wonderful soul, like all of you, you know. He's just, he uses an almost poetic image. What did you go to see? Like, what did you expect to see there? And then he said, what, a reed swayed by the wind? You've all seen reeds and how they sway in the wind, you know. That's John. He makes allusion to the human condition, you know, that John is a human being. He's an extraordinary human being and he demonstrates himself to be an absolutely amazing human being. Nevertheless, he is a human being. And he says, not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? He was dressed in camel or the leaves of the fig tree. You know, these people living in the desert, they were either dressed in some fur or in some leaves no so and he says no those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces see jesus i have said it before he's going here to the grassroots and the grassroots are not the aristocratic layer of the society so jesus very much talks to simple people who under the king under the priests and under the Roman Empire are ripped off as much as possible. So people are not wealthy. Normal people, 90%, it's a banana republic. It's exactly like how African banana republics are today. There is just a hundred super rich people and the rest is rock bottom. There is no middle class in the structure of a banana republic. No, It's just a class of privileged, and then the rest, 90-something percent, they are rock bottom. So Jesus talks to these. He wants to touch the... And that's why he always speaks with images in a way which favor the people who are poor and simple. In other spiritual traditions, people didn't like... We don't say that necessarily Rumi didn't have clothes and didn't have money and he was in the backpacker or rock bottom layer of the society. Maybe Rumi was having a good house and a reasonably good comfort. It's true, Milarepa, he was living in a cave and he was less than a villager. He had less money or clothes or anything than a person living in a village. So some of the great spiritualists have been in the class of ultra poor owning nothing, but not all of them. Again, I'm saying, Rumi was living in some city and he was having even some jobs. He was teaching music and other things and other great uh, mystics have done different things in the society. So it's about Jesus specifically brings that 
So that's why many people have said Jesus is like Karl Marx. He is like uh, preaching poverty. He is addressing to the working class. He is addressing to the exploited people. And he proposes a revolution. Jesus actually doesn't propose any revolution. He says, if you are dead poor, be so happy that you are dead poor, because there is a benefit to that. There is a blessing to that, and so on. So he doesn't say, oh, we should correct that. It's not, I'm talking something nasty against the people that have own things. So, but he says, why did you go to see John the Baptist? Was John the Baptist like this? Was he, uh, did you go to see Angelina Jolie dressed in the newest dress from uh, Paco or whatever, Dolce and Gabbana or something, you know? Like, what did you go to see? Well, obviously, it's uh, hilarious and that's not the answer. And he says the people who indulge in luxury and expensive clothes, they are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Like only a prophet would live in the desert com completely indifferent to his comfort, eating grasshoppers for God's sake and so on. And he said, he said, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So Jesus confirms. We don't know if John has confirmed Jesus. Jesus sent him a message like, look, like, can't you read the signs, you know? The blind are seeing and the lepers are healed and the dead are raised. So it's up to you to make up your mind. It's your test. Now maybe John will say, nah, I'm not convinced. Then bummer, he fucked up. But so that's his, John's problem with God. It's John's test. But here to other people after his pupils have said, so they can't even tell him Jesus spoke very nicely about you. He says, what did you look for? A prophet? And he says, yes, he says, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So Jesus confirms John. Jesus says John the Baptist was not only a prophet, like Moses, or, he's more than a prophet. That's why there is this thing that John is the number one man on earth, at least in the Christian mysticism. You know, he is... No, Jesus doesn't count because Jesus is God. But among human beings, John is outstanding. And he says, this is the one, John, is the one about whom it is written. And he again quotes the prophets. He says, exactly as I told him that, look, the dead are rising and the blind are seeing. Now I'm talking about John also showing you that his presence <coughs> was forecasted. And he says, this is the one about whom it is written. Quote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. What can you say more? Like this quote is so clear. The only question is, is it talking about John the Baptist? Well, if Jesus was not the Messiah, then John the Baptist was not the messenger coming before Jesus, before the Messiah. So, of course, the people who did not believe in Jesus, they had the right to say also that John was uh, maybe a prophet. No, at the best, he was a prophet. But Jesus, in a certain way, he gives it round about. 
he comes wrong. He says, maybe John confirms me. Let's see if he can see who I am. If God gives him this clairvoyance, this insight, but I privately can tell you already whatever he says and so on. I can tell you, this is the man about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. This is like God talking to Jesus and Isaiah, the prophet, or whoever this prophet is, I forgot from where it is, he wrote it down. He overheard it. This is what these prophets are. They hear God talking. But God is not always talking to them. God is talking about some cosmic administration and they overhear it and they write it down in their prophecies or in their papers. No, So a prophet wrote somewhere I would, that he heard God saying, I will send like a mantra. You know, he was in a delirium and suddenly he heard the voice of God or whatever seraphims talking, you know, high level angels who said, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And they can't even say, where does this discourse come from? They simply said, listen, O Israel, the God says so. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before... What do you mean? Shit, if I know. I don't know what I mean. I just know that I heard God saying these words. It was spoken in heaven. And it's up to smarter people than me to see where it applies and when it applies. These are like crumpets of visions, fragments of visions, which they can't always put exactly when it will come. So these prophets, they never gave a timeline and saying five centuries from you, they will come a man called John and this will come before. This engineers like me want a clear text. Not a strange double entendre, oblique talking like a poetry of somebody who hallucinates in a state of trance. But unfortunately, that's what most of the clairvoyants and prophets deliver. They deliver some sort of hallucination in a state of trance, which is not necessarily everything. It's bits and pieces of a puzzle, and then usually only later... You say, hey, this was written already. But why didn't you know five days before it happened? No, you couldn't see it. And then when it happened, you say, oh, Nostradamus wrote about this. Yeah, you should have told me this last week. But you can't because there is a law which prevents people from knowing such things. You know, Jesus, of course, doesn't suffer from that limitation. And he quotes and he says, John has been predicted and this is the one about whom it has... So he defines very clearly the, the role of John. John is even called, his nickname, the forerunner. The forerunner, the one who runs first. The forerunner, the one who comes just before. That's why John the Apostle saw it in his vision... And he said, fuck, the forerunner is coming again. Like there is a second coming of Jesus, but some pattern is there. Exactly as the forerunner, John the Baptist, was born on earth and he announced Jesus, this will happen once more. And there will be the forerunner 
And then we saw, as I told you, that the forerunner this time is going to be murdered, assassinated again, which is not new, but that he is going to be resurrected like Jesus. Because this time Jesus doesn't need to go through the drama of crucifixion, resurrection. It's finished. That game is finished and done already. So Jesus is coming like Lord. But the forerunner is a human being. And the forerunner is probably getting one more degree on his shoulder, you know. He is advancing and this. And God tells him, son, it's time to go down there to do it again. And he says, your wish is my command. Sure. Let's do it again. I'm happy to see Jesus coming again, this time full on. So this is why they say, because Jesus, now the sentence, the next sentence is like, understand it any way you want. But he says, I tell you, now he doesn't quote, he, it's his words, Jesus. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, like human beings, there is no one greater than John. That's why they like, John is numero uno. No. Is uh, Rumi bigger than John? No. Is Milarepa bigger than John? No. Jesus has said it. Among those born out of women, there is no one greater than John. Again, maybe somebody would come and say, what about Milarepa? You know, nobody asked him, you know. So it's like, you can think whatever you want. Did Jesus take into account all the possibilities and all the history of this Manvantara, of this cosmic cycle? And I don't know. Jesus has the right to speak subjectively from his heart as God. And as God, he just tells this. It doesn't matter if engineeringly his sentence is accurate. It matters that he, as God says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So he basically tells us, John is not yet a permanent resident of the kingdom of God. Because he says, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God, which means a Buddha, is greater than he. But the one who is greatest, was least in the kingdom of God, is a liberated human being. He is not one who is born out of women. He is not a citizen of the earth looking for enlightenment. He is somebody who is gone already in Hiranya Loka with Sri Yukteswar or something, you know, whatever that kingdom of heaven means. And then he says, even the greatest man on earth, which I think is John, you cannot compare him to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is simply another class. It's another existential condition. And you can say, but didn't John go there? Of course he did. He accomplished his mission, he did, but remember at this time, the test was not passed yet for John. John still had a hundred meters to run in his race. The last turn in his race was still there. And therefore, Jesus is expressing so accurately 
the moment, what is, one is. Now when I'm talking to you, that's what I can tell you. There's nobody born of a woman greater than John. All the people, even the, let's, I'm trying to finish this paragraph, all the people, even the tax collectors, even the tax collectors is a syntax used in the Bible to mean the, the sinners. The, the Jews were very sensitive to money, as often in history, and they were hating the fact that the Romans took their money. Because that was, of course, the Roman way of levying taxes and ruling over the people. You can never be abundant, you can never be wealthy, because we suck your blood and leave you exactly as much as you need to survive and work some more. Which is very much as what the capitalistic society does to people today. There is always inflation, when the salaries are growing, the prices are growing. Everything is calculated in such a diabolic way that 80% of the people have just enough to live. And of course, in some countries, at least you say, people can live decently. Yeah, but I have been, you know, I've lived eight years in Denmark. It's one of the countries which is supposed to be the most abundant in the world with Norway and other Scandinavian countries. Believe me, I, I had many pupils in my classes. Many of them had jobs. They were driving buses through town and so on. And they lived in an apart in apartments which were much more poor in construction than the apartments in which some of my friends lived in Romania. And Romania was considered to be a third world country and it was complaining of poverty and people were living not even with a hundred dollars per month, not like it was really below poverty line. And yet people had houses in which they lived, friends of mine, which were twice as comfortable as the houses of some of my pupils in Denmark, who were not unemployed people, who had jobs. And that's all the society allowed them to have. With this salary, you can have this much. That's it. So even if it was a country which had an income 10, 20, 30 times bigger than the people in Romania, the prices and everything else was arranged in such a way that there will always exist a proportionality. And that the person on the street, the average person, is held like this. And you know, they are always on the verge of survival. Remember that uh, that is, you know, so the tax collectors, they were the ones who were the instrument of this force. So all the people, even the tax collectors, which means the mean-minded people, the inferior, the sinners, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. And John baptized 30,000 people. And the population of Israel was probably 70 or 100,000 people in those days. Everybody who was a bit interested in religion and spirituality must have taken a trip to the Jordan River and got baptized by... Like John was a great uh, personality. He was a great rock star. He was a great spiritual personality in Israel in those days. So these people who now were listening to Jesus, two years ago they had visited John. Because, you know, so they kind of knew it was in the family. It was the same thing, you know. And 
Therefore, people could relate to it, but they were amazed that Jesus gave this shining recognition, like John among the people born out of women is no one greater than John. Like, wow. No. Because they themselves had been baptized by John, and they said, yeah, yeah, that's a holy man, sure. Yeah, we understand why Jesus said that. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, that's the religious law, they are not lawyers. The experts in the law means the experts in the law of Moses. The experts in the Judaic law. These are religious people. So Pharisees, scribes, priests, and here you have it. But, it starts with but. But the Pharisees, and like you know where this is going. Normal people said yes, and they loved this thing that John was asking Jesus, are you the one? And that Jesus said, there is no man greater than John. So like, wow. You know, people, their, people open their hearts, but the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So it goes around and comes around because you can see when people have a hardened heart. This was not only about Jesus. These people also didn't go to John because they said, who's that fucking hippie eating grasshoppers? And now we are supposed to just bow down to him and say, John, I have sinned. I want to say, baptize me. They were not humble. It was irritating them that they were the experts of the law and the Pharisees and the high priests and so on. And they had to kowtow to some dirty prophet living in the desert. They didn't like it. They were used with attention and people's worship to them. And this is a very big danger. No. Also for gurus, for teachers, for people who want to become yoga teachers and so on. Uh, it happens even to medical doctors that they can become very arrogant because people listen to them all the time. And they say, sir, sir, I have pneumonia. What to do? And then if the doctor tells you you have to eat extract from cow shit, you eat extract from cow shit because, hey, it's the doctor and he knows best what you have to do. But this develops the ego of the doctor horribly because he's used to total obedience, unconditional obedience. And then he comes and tells you, you've got cancer, chemotherapy. And then you say, no, no, I want alternative therapy. In that moment, your doctor goes crazy because he is not used to people disobeying to him. Any cancer patient who tells to their doctor, I'm not sure about chemotherapy or this, first thing which will come is the doctor will go on Manipura and will become very threatening and very angry. He will say, you are killing yourself. You are an idiot. How can you believe in these things? If you do chemotherapy, at least you have a chance. Like this, you are going to go to all kinds of quacks and so on, and they are going to waste the three months where you have the window of opportunity, and then you will die. And the story will continue just like that. No? It's the same thing. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are like intolerant medical doctors. You know, like, don't tell me what's right. Now I studied theology from the books, and now this guy, John, 
says that he spoke with God this morning. So his theology is better than mine because he is updated. He just, this book is 300 years old and he spoke this morning. So it's like he is the better man. They couldn't accept that because it took the cream of their authority. They had an authority which they enjoyed. That's why Jesus was dealing better with people who are humble and open than with people who thought they knew. Those are the most difficult people to convince about anything precisely because of this. So the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves, like in their own hearts, because they had not been baptized by John. They were not baptized by John. That's not a reason. If you got baptized by John, you can understand Jesus. It simply says it's the same trend. It's the same refusal. It's the same closedness. I'm trying to finish, although it's a bit late and this paragraph is beautiful. To what then, says Jesus further on, you know, because to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? Like Jesus is constantly complaining, I'm talking to you, I'm even raising the dead, and 51% of you or more will shout, give us Barabbas. Like he knows, he realizes I'm spitting blood here for you. And in the end, I'll just get a kick in the balls. That's what I'm getting from. You know, it's like, he, so he all, he says, what can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? You know, like he is a bit disappointed, but not in an unconstructive way. He's just venting it out. Like, hey, at least I can speak my truth. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. And then he quotes. Now, I don't know if he quotes from a prophet. My knowledge is not that big in theology. But he just uh, like mimicked. Like Jesus likes to play little theater. He gave them an example. It's a parable. And he said, well, you know, from this standpoint, people of this generation, they are like children who sit in the market and call out to each other. And they say this, we played the flute for you. And you did not dance. We sang a dirge. And you did not cry. In Agama this was illustrated by a poster. Which all my disciples. Or 90% of my disciples. Hate. And every administration takes it down. Every two years. And probably I'm going to put it back right soon now. And so on with a new administration. Which says while you are here. Remember that you are not here to change Agama, but Agama is here to change you. Because people want to play the flute for me, and they wonder why I don't dance. Why doesn't Swami apologize for all this scandal on the net? That's why. So you can die of anger. You can choke in your own flag. That's why. No? Because I am not dancing people's songs. People said, uh, what can we, people with John the Baptist say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. Like, John was not a crowd pleaser. He did not do things to please us. Why didn't Swami Vivekananda please the community? 
Because Swami Vivekananda is not meant to please the community and is meant to go against the grain and actually piss off the community. That's the meaning, you know. And Jesus says, what are, they are like people who say, uh, children in the market, who say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we sang a dirge and you did not cry. Like we could not uh, make you do things for us. That's not the right perspective. John the Baptist is not born to dance people's song. It's not. He's not a crowd pleaser. He's sent by God with a totally different mission. That is precisely a very good analogy. Because, and he continues, he says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread, eating bread is a luxury in those days, only rich people were eating bread, nor drinking wine, which is again, it's a party thing. Like in the, in the wedding of Cana, they were drinking wine and Jesus materialized some wine and so on. So Jesus didn't come eating bread, drinking wine, like he was not in the middle class, high class, something like this. And you say, he has a demon. Athanasius, the Egyptian first monk, he went into the desert and started doing practice and so on. And this, of course, troubled the Christians from Alexandria or Cairo or wherever it was. And somebody came to him and said, I told you that one, I I love to say it a hundred times, because somebody came to Athanasius from the community, like the normal Christians, the average ones. No, they came to the athlete of God, Athanasius, who was doing full on, you know, and he lived in his own grave. He had dug a grave in the desert and he said, death is coming. I'm waiting for it, you know, come and take me. You know, I'm dead already, potentially speaking. I'm just sitting here in prayer until you, I pray until you come, you know, and people came to Athanasius and they said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. Like people think, how can you be so crazy? And maybe you are schizophrenic or something, you know. Like people were trying to put down Athanasius and his image so that they can feel good in Cairo because if Athanasius was right, then they will feel like sinners by comparison. No? And they say, Athanasius, everybody, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius told him, go back to them and tell them that I am also against them. Like one man against the world. Your world is fucked up and I am against your world and I piss on your world. No, I'm not. I am against you. And that's it. I live in the desert and I think I am the one who does the right thing. So, it's the same here. He says, he was not eating bread or drinking wine and you say he has a demon. Because that's what people said. What's this guy doing? Eating grasshoppers and honey and he must have a demon. Demon meant mental disease as well in those days. So, you have a demon, it's like, oh, you must be something borderline schizophrenic or something and you are just, you know, there are many people, you know, when I was in Copenhagen there was a woman sleeping wrapped in newspapers in front of the railway station in Copenhagen and then my Danish friends told me the Danish society is built in such a way that nobody suffers from hunger, nobody sleeps on the street and I said, what about the woman near the railway station, she sleeps on the street and they said all the newspapers wrote about her several times the government offered her a house, an apartment, social money, health, you know, dole and so on. She still wants to sleep in her wheelchair, in, wrapped in newspapers, 
in front of the railway station. She sleeps there not because she doesn't have a house, but because she's fucked up in her head. No. Or maybe she's like John the Baptist or Athanasius and she wants to demonstrate something. Maybe that woman was a saint, you know, but she had the possibility, you know, and people, so people said maybe he has a demon. He is masochistic. John the Baptist likes to eat grasshoppers and to sleep on the bare ground in the desert. You know, it doesn't mean we should do the same thing because we are normal in our heads and we sleep in houses and we eat bread and we drink wine. So we shouldn't feel guilty when compared to John the Baptist. That's one of the tragedies of the human being, that when somebody is spiritual, people become envious at him. People assassinated the friend of Rumi. Rumi had a friend who was both his friend and his guru and his disciple. And the other people in the family and there, they assassinated him because he took too much of Rumi's time. And we need to have the Guruji for ourselves. And we are full of envy that Guruji Rumi spends too long time every day with Shams al-Tabriz. And they killed Shams al-Tabriz, a great mystic. And it happened so many other times. There is that story which Osho says from Dogen or one that some guy. It's a long story, and I know I would like to cut it short, so I'm saying it's sketchy. The patriarch of a Zen monastery says he will designate his follower, and he addresses a Quan, uh, uh, one of these koans from Zen, and everybody answers. And there was one in the monastery who was doing like. 10 hours of meditation per day, and everybody secretly hated him and envied him, because this was the numero uno, you know, this was the Guru's favorite disciple. And the Guru paradoxically reads his paper also and says, no, you didn't get it right, you are not the one, and so on. And then in the night, he goes to his room and knocks at the door and he says, you are the one, but if I said it in front of the monastery, they will probably come now in the night and assassinate you out of envy. So I'm confirming to you, you are enlightened. Pack your gear tonight and run before five o'clock so that people won't know and won't catch you. If it happens in a Zen monastery, of course it have people whenever somebody is spiritually advanced, they hate him, they envy him. It happens on this island as well as in many other places. You know, when Agama is spiritual, it scratches people's eyeball. And then people hate it. No? And there is no place in this world where we can go and people won't hate Agama because we have the best or one of the best yogas in the world. No? There is no way to deal with it because this existed even... John the Baptist was living in the desert and the only way to get clean of it was to say, yeah, but he has a demon. Well, like he is uh, he's possessed by the demon. About Jesus, they said the same thing. They said, yeah, Jesus is healing people, but it's the power of the devil. He does it through the devil. How would you demonstrate it's not the devil? You know, it's like, you can say any shit like this. Jesus tried to argue with them. It was useless in the one. So, the son of man, so he said, this guy came and he didn't eat bread, he didn't drink wine, and you said he's too tough because he eats grasshoppers and he has a demon. The son of man, he said, I, on the other hand, came eating and drinking, like Jesus in his visible action 
he was not practicing any austerity. He was not living with grasshoppers in the desert. No, so he said, I came eating and drinking, and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. No, like people will always find a way to turn down those who make them feel inferior. And if you remember, inferior and superior is the polarity of Anahata Chakra. So the people who don't like to feel inferior are people who don't have the yin aspect of Anahata Chakra open. And then anybody, the Dalai Lama or Rumi or even Jesus, are just dudes for you. Because you don't like to feel inferior in front. The humble person says, what am I compared to the Dalai Lama? You know, it's like I can always be humble to the Dalai Lama. You know, because I can feel inferior and it doesn't offend my ego. But if I have no anahata, then this feeling of inferiority goes straight into my Manipura and it offends me because it makes me feel like I'm a slave, like I'm put down. My ego suffers. Oh, is Jesus more shining than me? It shouldn't be like this. I, that's why John is so special. Because he did not get provoked by Jesus becoming so shining. On the contrary, he said, it's time for me to step back. Which was the right attitude. He had this enormous spiritual power. And therefore, Jesus says, you condemned uh, John the Baptist because you said we played the flute and he did not dance. But did they expect that John will become a party animal who will uh, soothsay to them and will dance a jig? And let's have our own little personal prophet. John, come tonight. And uh, when we turn on the button, speak to us about something nice. And then you can go to sleep, we're going to get drunk a little bit, you know? Like, like John is a puppet that you can turn on and off. While John, on purpose, wants to be uncomfortable and rude to give people a cold shower and make them feel that they need to change their life. So, he says, you're like children who say, oh, but he didn't play ball with us. Of course he didn't play ball, because he's not there to play ball. And neither is any one of us who is in doing spiritual teachings. No, you don't do that. And he was not eating bread and wine and he said he has a demon, like he's too much. And I, on the other hand, am eating bread and drinking wine. And now you say he is a glutton and drunkard. And like you always will find a reason to put somebody down. Always. 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 That's why the people who advised us on some PR months ago when this scandal started, we had countless journalists coming and saying, we want to write, will you give us an interview? And all the PR people from the West who don't know about this, who just do PR for big companies, they said, whatever you will tell to a journalist, they will dig up and find out the exact turn of sentence to put you down and write something dirty about you because their decision is already taken. You are guilty in their eyes. Therefore, they simply said, you better, because people say, Swamiji, why didn't you give an interview or something? Because it was useless. Because that's the mechanism which works with people. People are constantly trying to put down what makes them feel 
humiliated and inferior. Not everybody. John the Baptist did not do such a mistake in his own way. So he says, which either way, either you say that guy is demonic or I am a glutton and a drunkard. <coughs> no. And he ends by a wonderful sentence, which I will start with next time by saying, but wisdom is proven right, but by all her children. Wisdom has children and the children of wisdom Wisdom is proven right by all her children. You know, like when you say whatever, you know, like Francis of Assisi, the first who comes to mind. Small beginnings, greater ends. Take your time. If you want your dream to be, take your time, go slowly. You know, this is wisdom. And Francis of Assisi is, of course, right. He's right. And Wisdom is proven right by all her children. No. Because it, all it takes is time and keep your eyes open. And then you see, wisdom is proven. So, Jesus says, John the Baptist doesn't need your approval. You say he has a demon or what? He is too much. Wisdom will prove itself to be right. In the end, who are the people who said... Um, John the Baptist is, has a demon. I don't know what Shloim and Itzig were there in that day and said that. But John the Baptist is still with us here today. No? Like John the Baptist exists and those anonymous idiots have disappeared in the grinding machine of history. John the Baptist did not on the contrary, Jesus says that's the greatest man born out of a woman. When Jesus says this about you, it's like, okay, okay, you know, that's, that's some compliment. So Jesus says, John the Baptist does need your confirmation. Wisdom is confirmed by all the children of wisdom. Like all who want to see will see the wisdom of John the Baptist. All the ones who don't want to see they will knock their head against the wall and they will learn painfully and slowly, slowly from history and from evolution, from the process of evolution. Enough of that. We have looked into some beautiful words of Jesus where he, his amazing interaction with John the Baptist, his spiritual thing, perhaps it helped you to understand a little bit better John the Baptist, who is a mysterious character, I'm so, I couldn't even say annoyed or amused or anything when I see some of these New Age books where they say that Mary Magdalene was the wife of Jesus and John the Baptist was his guru. You did not understand much when you say things like that. You did not understand what's happening at the level of consciousness of one like Jesus. But... Wisdom is confirmed by all its children in due time. Thank you all for joining. Enough for tonight. Again, when questions come to you, come with them in Q&A sessions. And I will see you in the coming sessions. We're going very slowly through this look. But uh, I hope at least it stays with you and you learn some of the great truths of the universe. Enough for tonight.